0: Hi guys, welcome to our podcast Waiting in the Wings with me, Lucy.
1: And Anthony. isn't this weird? This is so bizarre. First podcast.
0: How strange. Yeah.
1: So uh, tell us a bit about this podcast, Lucy. What are we going to be talking about? Kind of the things we're going to be covering over the next couple of episodes, etc, etc.
0: So since both of us are from um, a big musical theatre background, we we decided that we'd start this podcast to talk about shows that we've seen, shows that we loved, shows that we maybe didn't love, and talk about what's opening, what's closing, and just getting some... Interesting information on the theatre scene at the minute.
1: Yeah, I know. I always feel like uh, through our university career, especially together when we were doing shows, that um, musical theatre was something that was very, um, I don't think, like frowned upon. Like everyone loves a bit of musical theatre, but I, th- I feel like a lot of theatre creatives and theatre performers tend to kind of look down a bit on musical theatre, if you kind of agree. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so
1: I think this, mainly this podcast, is kind of look into kind of the amazing things that musical theatre can provide to the theatre scene and kind of where musical theatre is heading over the next few years so uh Lucy do you want to start off by telling us kind of your story like what uh influenced you to get into musical theater like how you did it etc
0: so um I basically begged my mom when I was three to take me to dance lessons I just wanted to be a ballerina I used to be obsessed with Angelina Ballerina you know the bounce yes the little mouse yeah, yes. um and since then you know with every dance school especially in the north when there isn't that many of them well there wasn't when I was growing up it was like you start with ballet and then you do tap and modern jazz and acting and musical theatre and contemporary. And so, like, I, I've always been in dance lessons, like, f- literally every single day after school. Um, and very thankful to my mum and my grandparents and my dad for all was ferrying me to and fro dancing. That was like, it's a running joke in our family. Where's Lizzie? Oh, she's at dancing. Where's she? She's at rehearsal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, obviously, when I left school, I came to Royal Holloway, which is where I met this lovely man this lovely podcast friend that I have now <laughs> Anthony Underwood and I did my first um big musical you know I'd always done them in school but this was my first like big one um and we did Rent together which was um a beautiful story and so it really bonded everyone together and then um i wanted to try and be on a creative team because i'd never really been that role when i was younger so i started by directing a very fun musical called bring it on and that led me because it was very dance heavy we decided me and the choreographer too i was going to do a few of the dance numbers and i realized i really really enjoyed choreographing which led me to this again this <laughs> lovely <laughs> man. and we did um cabaret together which was one of the best experiences at university and it was fantastic and learning all about Fosse and um, trying to you know, be inspired by his techniques and cabaret was really, really um, fantastic and I really loved that experience and then we led us to make Taxi Man Productions which is our theatre company and then we took a show to the Edinburgh Fringe um, which was Pippin and that was amazing Um, but very, very difficult and we'll probably talk about that in a a episode of our Edinburgh adventures Um, but yeah, but now I'm just actor actor performer slash creative slash living in london working as a teacher stage coach but it's fine um i love my lovely friends
1: so yeah i'm anthony um i am from the south coast bournemouth um i kind of been brought up kind of in the same way i did a lot of Dancing when I was younger, mainly ballet, a bit of modern, Uh, you know, the classic when your mum throws you into a uh, a dance hall and says, just dance and do. I was never much of a footballer myself, but um, yeah, I've always kind of been brought up with a very musical family, like my nan, my mum were all very into musical theatre, so I've kind of been doing it my whole life. I did obviously the classic school productions, Um, but as soon as I got to uni, I kind of hung up my performer's coat and kind of took on directing instead, um, I was uh, lucky enough to uh, write a musical in my first year of uni and from then on I just kind of loved doing directing and kind of creating theatre so that's kind of what um, I've been doing ever since. Um, so what should we start off with then Lucy? Kind of What, what, what are we going to be talking about this week?
0: So our, uh, well, our first segment today is going to be called The Overture
1: <laughs> where we're
0: going to be talking about um, shows that are opening, shows that are closing, um, just general happenings in the West End.
1: So, actually, a lot has been happening this week um, in the old musical theatre world. Um, tell me
0: more, tell me more. So,
1: oh, oh that was disgusting. <laughs> I'll never do that again. <laughs> so, uh, the first thing, obviously, we had the opening of Waitress, uh, which opened up in the Adelphi Theatre, I believe. Yeah. Um, which I'm very, very excited about. I can't wait for Waitress to come. Um, it's one of my favourite soundtracks, so I'm very excited for that. Only Fools and Horses, the musical... Yes,
0: I've seen that has, advertised on the tube.
1: Yeah, has also opened up this week, so I might go pop and see that one. I'm not much of a fan of Only Fools and Horses. I haven't really watched a lot. My
0: mum is obsessed with okay. it, especially the moment where Del Boy falls through the um the bar. Have you never seen that? No, I've, nev- I've never watched it. You absolutely need to watch that clip. He's basically okay. trying to impress this girl and... This guy, the bartender opens, you know how bars open, yeah. and he like goes to lean on it, and he literally just Oh, falls, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. And It's so iconic. It's like the funniest thing. Yeah, um, my mom I remember my mom showing me that clip when I was younger, and just. Thinking it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm
1: interested to see kind of what it's like as a musical. Yeah, um, and the the
0: characters are so iconic. It'll be interesting to see their yeah. interpretation of that. Switches
1: it's just taken over from the band and Heather's as well at Theatre Royal Haymarket. It's quite a, quite a different, quite different show from uh, what it's done yeah. before. Um, but anyways, yeah, those are what has opened this week. Um, we have some new announcements of shows that are going to be coming to the West End slash off West End recently. A Sweet Charity has been announced at Donmar Warehouse, um, which is going to be directed by Josie Rourke. Cool. Um, she was the artistic director, obviously, of Donmar, and yeah. she's doing it so like her closing big like taking her final bow her moment bon yeah it's her bon voyage um we've also got a new musical uh that's called the view from the view upstairs at the soho theater which is interesting it's directed by uh jonathan boyle oh boyle who has done a lot of shows we've seen pippin yeah um, aspects of love kind of all those ones um this follows uh Guy called Wes, who's a young fashion designer who buys an abandoned space that was formerly a 70s gay bar burned down in an, ar- an arson attack. Ooh. So uh, that seems very interesting. I'll go pop and see that when it um, opens. But obviously, the big thing that we we're all kind of talking about this week that's opening soon is the um, Les Miserables concert version.
0: Interesting! Yeah, which will
1: be featuring uh, Michael Ball as Javert, Alfie Beau as Jean Valjean. Obviously, everyone loves Alfie Beau as Jean Valjean. Yeah, uh, Carrie Hope Fletcher as Fontaine, which is interesting. And obviously, Matt Lucas as Thenardier. It will be moving to the Gielgud Theatre, obviously taking over company, Um, and we'll be running for six weeks whilst the Queen's Theatre is being refurbished before then going back, but for a new version that's going to be staged differently from the old version.
0: Yeah, so there's been a lot of controversy around this new staging of Les because obviously it is so iconic. People go see Les because of the revolve, because of the way it's staged. It's been... It's a bit like shows like Chicago. Yeah, it's never changed since it's opened. Yeah, so the choreography and stuff like that. Um, the original Epidine actually started a petition to stop this from happening.
1: Well, I'll give you, you I'll that? give you a little interesting fact. So the word "revolve" comes from. Well, I don't know which way it comes around, but revolution means to literally switch. The higher, the high people from the low people. So hence, hence that's why they made a revolve because it's like a revolution switching the people in power, ah. for the people who are fighting back. That's why they had a revolve in it because it's kind of a play, play on words there. Nice. So uh, it'll be, it'll be weird because I think honestly one of the most iconic moments of. Uh, lame is I remember definitely when I went and saw it is when and en- you find Angelas dead on the barricade yes. and the barricade spins around and you see oh, him like
0: when he's hung like backwards yeah. over it and he has the big red flag and it's just and it's, amazing. It's
1: gonna be strange and like the moment when he's in the sewers where he's walking through the sewers with Maris on his back and the stage is revolving. Yeah. He's not doesn't feel like he's getting anywhere.
0: Yeah. But um, that doesn't mean to say that they'll get rid of the revolve. It might be a, d- a different revolve. It might be. Who <laughs> <No>. knows? <laughs> it revolves a different way. <laughs> Upside down. So yeah, um
1: so yeah, concertized version. I think we've seen a lot of concertized versions of Lay Misques through the years with the yeah. tenth, was it the tenth and the twenty-fifth?
0: Yeah, I saw the twenty-fifth with my dad when Nick Jonas played Marius. Yeah,
1: not not a good time let's that um, into the um, But l- let's hope I hope and pray that this one's gonna be a lot better. I'm sure it will. Um anyway, some more like gossip. We've had a um big MT fest over at the other palace over the past week. Um it's been starring people like Luke Bay. Carrie Hope Fletcher, Jamie Moscato, Sophie Isaacs, just to name a few. Um, These are some really new musicals that they're putting on, which is very good for kind of like the British musical theatre scene, kind of showcasing some new stuff. Um, So I hope some of you have checked it out. It will be carrying on for the next week afterwards. They've got some good workshops and some good like cabaret evenings. So definitely go check that out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also had an award ceremony recently with um, the um, Offies at Battersea Centre. The Rink, which was... uh, a show that was on in the summer I believe uh, Southwark Playhouse won the most awards with choreography, uh, best MD, best actress and best musical production um, we also had uh, Mari Barkley win best supporting actress for Pippin who we both saw she was, phenomenal. she was phenomenal yeah so good and then Grindr the opera won best musical so that's hilarious that's, yeah so I'm definitely going to go check that out if I can um, I, can't, I don't know I think it might be finished now but I'm not sure but anyways over it so, Luce, what are we going to be starting off with today then?
0: Our main show today that we're going to be talking about is Everyone's Talking About Jamie, How Very Apt um, And that was going to be our main focus on this week's episode And we're going to be telling you our thoughts, appealings, appealing Feelings! <laughs> 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 Blooper reel! <laughs> thoughts, feelings and opinions on Everyone's Talking About Jamie
1: So yeah, a couple of little facts about everyone's talking about Jamie. So um, it opened on the 13th of February in 2017 at the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield, um, but was then transferred over to the West End on the 6th of November 2017 as well. Uh, It went to the Apollo Theatre. The musical is actually based on a documentary that was filmed a couple of years back uh, called Jamie, Drag Queen at 16, which was about a boy in County Durham. Mm -hmm. Um, who wanted to wear a dress to prom and kind of about his struggles and how he deals with it with his family, his mum, his dad, and sort of his friends um, at the school as well. Um, now, this musical won a couple of awards, nothing like crazy big, but uh, it won some What's On Stage awards uh, for Best New Musical. Uh, John McCrae won Best Actor and then Lucy Shorthouse, who plays uh, Pretty, Pasha, uh, got Best Supporting Actress.
0: How amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, what do you think overall about this musical, Lucy? your opinion,
0: so when I went to see it it was a I didn't know much about everyone talking about Jamie um I hadn't actually seen the documentary before going to see the musical it's only after since I've decided to do this podcast that I decided to watch the documentary um it is a very universal topic it is a bigger picture story is how do young people fit into the world it goes beyond gender and sexuality it is really you know the show opens with a new chapter for all these kids in year 11 and they are going out into the world um to try and discover who they want to be when they're older which i think is something that everyone identifies with everyone who sees this musical will understand that struggle especially when you're in 16 you're getting told what you want to do when you're at university what you want to be when you're older and it's these decisions that like carry us through our lives um it's a great um show definitely for the younger generation you can tell why they have such a massive fan base of young people um it's fun it's pop culture yeah it's um sassy you know it has those those RuPaul drag race you know isms isms about yeah. it um yeah that's what I kind of yeah really I think
1: about. I think the main thing about this show is that it is very fun like mm. you do come out of it Feeling very like enlightened, and you had a good time. Um, especially with, like the closing number, like it's a bit catchy. It's a fun number. Everyone's happy. So like, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really, really enjoyable show. Um, I don't think it's anything crazily profound. Um, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't come out of it feeling changed or yeah. like feeling like I look at anything differently. Because um, I think, I think for me. I've seen a lot of shows about LGBT identity been done before. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like everyone's talking about Jamie does anything different than what I've seen on television or film or any or any other platforms before. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It does have its really good emotional moments. And like when we speak more about the actual story itself, there are some really, really good points. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I I feel like for a younger audience, 100% this is a very good show because like, that's what they're going through at this minute, and yeah. like when you're younger, these issues are a lot bigger than when you're when you've gone through university and like you've been out in the big world for a long while. Um, so I can understand where where the kind of popular popularity comes from and why it's done so well. Yeah. But for me, yeah, I just wasn't blown away. Yeah. Um, but I think we also have to remember that me and you have been through a very. Uh, What's the word like? Like, like our university, we've like... yeah. It's,
0: our university was very progressive. There was um, an LGBTQIA um, society. We are surrounded by a lot of members of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. We all have open debates, open discussions. We talk even in our you know our flat right now. We talk about these things. So seeing Jamie is something that's like yeah, okay. You know we accept yeah. we're accepting of it. Whereas maybe a younger audience who you know when they these um characters are discovering themselves younger people can say oh yeah you know like no one in our in our school year is that confident to be so inherently themselves yeah absolutely and um even um, john McRae talks about jamie as being such a an approachable ex like exceedingly confident person in, yeah. In the documentary. yeah 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 and also this character is like this very performative this is me. This is who I am. Yeah, he
1: doesn't hide a lot apart from obviously the big secret that he's a drag queen. Yeah, so, so that's. Or prob- wants to be a drag queen. Yeah, that's probably um, why. And also, we have to remember where this show was originally yeah. uh, put is on. Very important. So it was originally put on, obviously, in Sheffield, which is very different to London. Like London is a very cosmopolitan city. You get people from all over. They're probably very. It's probably one of the most diverse cities. Um, so the audience, I think I said, I read this in an interview as well, that the reason why they put it on at Sheffield is because the audience came to the show knowing a lot about the story before and it meaning something to them. So like, it makes a lot more sense as to why a show like everyone's talking about Jamie would work better up in an area like Sheffield. Like for me, obviously I was born in Bournemouth, so everything was very progressive. Like people like literally we have like drag bars everywhere in Bournemouth. So like it's, yeah, it's, it's it makes more sense as to how it's done so well from coming through Sheffield.
0: And it's really kept that um, regional theatre aspect in terms of a lot of the jokes in the shows. They've kept um, a lot of the we know the ones about Parsons Street and the snooker hall. Um, and, you know, Michelle Versage, when she played Mrs. Hedge, she did, Miss Hedge, sorry, um, did a, an interview and she said, it, you know, it is a masterpiece of the fact that this very um, small piece of regional theatre from Sheffield has made it all the way to the to the West End. I think that's yeah. something special about it. Absolutely. It has that community feel to it that translates to like the burger London Burroughs, which I think is really yeah. cool. Um and also, you know, Jonathan Butterall grew up in Sheffield, the director of the of the show. Um, which I think is such like a lovely combination of, you know, he actually did live it, and obviously as a gay man himself. He talks a lot about that in interviews, how he's saying like this is he, it's not. It goes bigger than gender and sexuality and everything, of course. But um, he says that it's a very important story for him to tell. Yeah. That's why he was so passionate um, to tell this story in Sheffield itself, um, and also the Crucible Theatre. Really took a risk on this show.
1: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, a,
0: a new musical set in a regional, and also theater. the writers.
1: Although he was obviously a, he's the theater, one of the things in the feeling, if I am right. Yes, um, uh, Dan. Dan yeah. Cells, yeah, Um he'd, he'd never written a musical before, yes. so like this was a big a big gamble. Um, but I think uh, this is stuff that I really do enjoy about British musical theatre is that we really take a look into kind of regionality and kind of how that plays into the lives of characters. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice to see a story that really hones into what makes us British and kind of like the culture that we live in and how how that affects us as people. Yeah. Um. Obviously, like a lot of commercial theatre, we see big stories like Les Mis, which like is a big talk about like the French Revolution. You get Miss Saigon, which is about the Vietnam War. It's nice to hone in on smaller stories. Yeah. Um. And kind of look less a spectacle but instead about the lives and how characters can kind of influence each other.
0: Well, yeah, I think especially in Britain, class and um, the regions of this country really defied us as a nation. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's nice. Still does in a way. Yeah, still does. It's like one of the biggest things that accents and class are the one thing that us, us as British people use to define and judge and use prejudice against, you know... The fact that Jamie is a working class lad, born in Sheffield, his dad through just the musical is obviously working class. You know, they talk a lot about like his mum can't afford money. I can't afford money. Can't afford money. None of us can afford money. can afford money. Um can't afford um to buy him the shoes and she saves it up and I think it's yeah. a lovely moment where Jamie can tell just how much his mum supports his dream, the fact that she has bought these shoes. Yeah. That and I'm sure they Jamie Jimmy- shoes, apparently, aren't they?
1: Are like they Louboutins? I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I can't think re- Miss Hedge has the Jimmy Choo. Oh, maybe I, they both have Jimmy Choo. Oh, I, I can't, can't remember. remember. Irrelevant anyway. Well,
0: the, you know, it's like a massive yeah. thing. That they, they, and that in itself, that Jamie is a working class lad, is, you know, you can't you can't be, I remember seeing an interview with the, the guy who plays the dad, and he said, you know, you can't be working class and, and gay. You can't be, wor- yes. be working class yeah, and yeah, feminine. Yeah. Because, you know, it, the North is still very much in that, that place of you know we've come from the coal miners and the shipyards and everything and it it still has that like hustle and bustle of these like big strapping like yeah well it's especially
1: again stories like billy elliot as well which is another musical that kind of looks into what what is masculinity within a northern community yeah um but it's it's good to see kind of that idea of, like, although someone who is from a working-class family, like, especially with the Miss Hedge character, where she's like, you need to think real, and you need to be, yeah. like, like, you kind of need to stick to what people expect of you. It's nice to see them pushing... The boundaries to be like, no, 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 you can achieve what you want even if you're not, you don't feel like you fit in. Yeah. And because obviously this is based on a true story, it's not like they are conjuring up some dream that's never going to happen. Like, this is real stuff that's actually yeah. happened.
0: Which is kind of the irony of being like, you need to be real. Well, yeah, I'm being real and being me. This yeah, really exactly. Happened. Which is a nice touch for an audience member to like, yeah. watch that and be like, yeah, 100%. You're like, woo, it did happen.
1: Um, so, yeah, in regards to like the story and how kind of the story progresses, what, what are your opinions of it?
0: So. First of all, he is out from day one. Yeah, from the very first moment. We Which see I Jamie. like. I yes. really,
1: I think, I think that's very different. To it what...
0: defines it as a. It's not a coming out story. Yes, it's yeah, not yeah. about him discovering his sexuality. It's him discovering himself. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really important to know about the musical itself. Um. Uh, and it kind of it teaches adults. I think when you watch it, the narrative that adults need to support our younger yeah, generation. Yeah, which
1: is which is one thing that I think I really enjoy about this musical is that it's not it's not saying to the the young boy in the audience who's struggling, it's fine to come out like you'll be okay because a lot of the time coming out is a very hard thing and most LGBT people have some some form of person that turns against them. I feel like this musical is actually showing the community around Jamie and how they should act and how yeah. they should support Jamie instead. Yes. Which is, which is the one thing that I feel like is different to stories that I've seen before. You don't get a lot of stories that kind of say this is how you need to act as someone who isn't the way that you want them to necessarily be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and also the ending kind of of the narrative. Spoilers. Um.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, just a quick disclaimer <laughs> that we will be spoiling a lot about this show. Sorry that we didn't say it stuff. <laughs> Go see it before you listen to the y- podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, about the acceptance of the individual and kind of his, um, he accepts that he doesn't need his dad's 100%. acceptance. 100%. Yeah. yeah, 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 Or support.
1: Because I think it shows like two separate sides of the stories Definitely. in regards to acceptance. So you've got obviously the mum and Ray who are completely like, we accept you for everything you are. Yeah. You know what, you don't need a father figure. And then you've obviously got the father figure who's like, no, I never want to speak to you again. Yeah. But it shows what, how Jamie kind of deals with that and... Yeah. Um, showing that you don't na- necessarily need that masculine male figure in your life to have family. a family around yeah. you, yeah, yeah, um,
0: and also it shows that Jamie's dad is dealing with his own insecurity. That yeah, hundred percent. is closely, you know, um, paired with this kind of like topic of like hatred, and it's it's fear that channels Jamie's dad. He's scared about yeah. Jamie being this effeminate boy in the school because he's scared of what people are going to say about him. Yeah, like yes, his yeah, dad. yeah, yeah. Jamie isn't scared about words. because you know, there's the whole scene where um the bully caught the bully in the, in the story. Um
1: uh Dean Paxton. Dean
0: Paxton, he says, "Oh, you're 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 gay, you're gay, you're gay." And Jamie was like, "I am gay. Yeah. I call myself gay. Therefore, you using gay as an insult isn't insulting to me." Yeah, 100%. He like reclaims that word, which I think is a really really nice um a nice scene um and speaking of like the narrative in terms of the language that they use is showing us that like the young people are paving the way for like new words like queer and gay like five six years ago i f- still feel like the word queer was in this area there's a stigma around it yeah you know, i mean whereas like the community is really bonded together and they've kind of some people really want to reclaim that word as something that they self self-pro self-profess um and be like yeah i'm queer get over it do you know what i mean yeah um which i think is really nice yeah reclaiming of that word gay and he's like no
1: i think it's really interesting as well because obviously this is a real story and i was when i was watching the documentary like it sticks very true to the documentary like there's even certain parts where they're like using exactly the same lines like uh the line that ray says where it goes it really boils my piss yeah um is actually in the documentary when the Ray comes in about the meeting with the head teacher. Um, and it's it's really cool to see a story literally translated onto stage. Now, obviously, I understand that they've added a few little qualms, but I personally don't feel like they even needed to. Yeah. Like, I know there's a lot added with the father storyline and obviously the Hugo storyline, which I personally just didn't even feel like needed to be there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But because it, it's a weird one. Like, when it comes to telling, retelling a story... How far do we feel we can go before it kind of makes it a bit more of like a romanticized version of the truth? Yeah. Um, like I understand they kind of needed to flesh out the father storyline a bit more, just because the father doesn't even appear in the documentary. Like you don't see him.
0: Yeah, it's just like, have he, um, has it your spot? Have you spoken to your father? No, I haven't spoken to him last week. Yeah. And in that, in itself, is such a poignant moment of the documentary because he's saying. Yeah, but you don't need to go yeah. and interview him. You don't need to speak to him because it's not his story, it's my story. And
1: yeah, I feel like they shine a bit too much light on the father in the show. Mm. Like, I, I obviously didn't care about the father. And he appeared in The Last Number, which I thought was a bit weird in general anyways. Yeah. Um, But like, the bit with the mother and the father, that scene that happened there. Like, I don't feel like we necessarily needed that to understand what was going on with the father. I feel through the absence of the father, we could have understood it just as well
0: yeah the more the less said is the more powerful because it literally shows ignorance and it also shows fear more yeah you can't physically i don't know what the word is but like
1: like be present, like in, be present. in in like, jamie's he's story so scared yeah
0: and so like ignorant and he just can't even look jamie in the eyes yeah to say this is not what I agree with. Do you know what I mean? That That would have been a more powerful statement for us as an audience.
1: Yeah, because I feel like he could have just walked on for that last scene where he tells Jamie he's disgusting and I would have been happy with that. Yeah. And that could have been all the father did in the whole show. Um, And I feel that would have slightly been more powerful because you don't get that side any more about the father. You just hear him in that sense. Yeah. Um... And yeah, obviously they had to flesh out a bit about their friends as well, so um, the character of Pretty and the character of Dean were obviously fleshed out a lot more, just to kind of present that. I loved Pretty Pasha's character. I thought she, her storyline was beautiful, and it didn't need any more than it did, because I thought at one point they were going to try and do a whole storyline about her trying to find her, like, outer beauty, because she was like, oh, I'm not pretty, like, I'm not a beautiful person. But... I think the song that they did at the start of act two, where she sung to Jamie about being beautiful, mm-hmm. just really brought her character around in a full circle because yeah. it showed that she did not have to be outwardly beautiful to be a beautiful person. Yeah. And I mean, like, she is a beautiful character in the yeah. first place. But like, I really, really love that. And I thought it was a really nice addition. Again, going along the lines of acceptance and how people should accept someone oh, like definitely. Jamie.
0: And also they're both very separate from like the mainstream other children in their class in like yeah. ways well I
1: mean I think Pretty Pesh is probably one of the first leading Muslim characters I think I've ever seen She's on the, the, the West it, End I'm, stage
0: I'm uh, you can quote me on this uh, listeners if you are, I am wrong but I'm sure she is the first ever character to wear hijab on stage on the West End
1: what about, I don't know whether Beautiful Game or Bend It Like Beckham, but uh, I don't know if they're Muslim characters anyways. But sort of along think those Bend lines. I Bend It Like
0: Beckham is, but I don't know if, I don't know if a hijab But is I don't think they were even West,
1: West End anyways. I don't think they ever no. got onto the West End. Um, um, and there's obviously Dean as well. <sighs> I think Dean was the reason that made it a bit of a cliche story because yeah. it was all about the bully and like then the bully changing his mind at the end. And I was like, a bully's not going to change their mind. There was that nice moment where Pretty Pasha had that like firing at the prom where she was like, you're not gonna make it, like after tomorrow you're nothing. Yeah. Which I really, really liked. But I just didn't feel like Dean needed to be there. I thought Jamie was struggling with enough as it was. Mm. Um, with the father character that I dunno, like it's always good to kind of have like a younger view on what young people think about that, but it just felt so cliche at the end when they all kind of turned around and were like, now we're all best friends. Yeah. And like I understand that in real life in the actual documentary that did happen. Yeah. Um but for me, watching a musical, it felt very anticlimactic at the end. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And even like Miss Hedge kind of forgave him and was like, oh, nice shoes. And it was like, hmm, hmm, mm. does that happen? I think
0: both the characters of Dean and Jamie's dad, um, they both resemble that the fact that they are um, products of their own circumstances. Yes. So the reason that they feel this way is because they've been brought up and raised to be embarrassed to be afraid of these things because they've been told that it's wrong or to be because they've been told that it's not acceptable for them to them themselves to behave that way so that's why they act out awfully it's because it's part of their own identity which i think is nice to show that on stage but i again i feel like it was that one step too far yeah into the realm of like performativity of masculinity rather than just being masculine yeah i mean like having that um
1: I don't know like it all it did it all just felt a bit too like easy come the end and like I even understand that in the documentary it was still a bit of a lash back towards Jamie like even though all the kids kind of stood by him and still the teachers were kind of being a bit iffy about it yeah and I yeah I just felt come the finale I was like oh it's the happy ending that kind of we didn't really want like I still wanted obviously Jamie to get into the prom and do well but like I don't know it all just kind of fell into place a bit too easily So, obviously, uh, this is a musical. Yes. we uh, are talking about this on our podcast. So I think one of the really important things we kind of need to talk about is the um, score and the lyrics to this show. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally wouldn't say that this is like a particularly standout soundtrack. Um, I think I've... I enjoyed a lot of the numbers, but I don't think that there was any that really stood out as being unique. I feel like kind of they all kind of blended into one Come kind of the end of the show.
0: Yeah. I would say it was a standout soundtrack for the wrong reasons, actually. Oh,
1: oh, controversial. I know.
0: Um, and you can so tell that, obviously, Dan Gillespie-Sells and Tom McRae have grown up in the world of pop music and uh, started in the music industry rather than theater so obviously in his biography on the website and also in the program it cites a lot of contemporary artists you know he's a member of the feeling you know it's people like freddie mercury as influencers and karen carpenter from the carpenter's is one of the you know greatest vocal technicians ever and obviously it's the first time collaborating on a major piece of theater they've done a lot of work on tv and they're really good friends as well which i feel like
1: never work with your never friends people your friends, <laughs>
0: um but you can definitely tell that it is a very pop culture yeah. musical um and we were talking about but before we started recording this that the songs in the musical differentiate from other musicals because they instead of uh pushing forward the narrative They encapsulate a moment or an emotion or a metaphor that kind of emboldens one part of the musical. So, for example, like the opening song, um, You Don't Even Know It. Um, It kind of encapsulates the, I'm the biggest star, I'm proud of who I am, I'm gay, I'm going to be this way, and there's nothing you can do about it. But it doesn't extend the narrative anymore. It doesn't tell you anything else about Jamie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even the songs like... Spotlight, it's like you need to be in the spotlight. I'm giving you my support, my friendship, but it isn't grab the yeah. story. I know
1: definitely one thing that's really important to me when I'm watching a musical is that the kind of like the, the um especially not a sung through musical is that the dialogue can easily slip into uh the musical whenever. Um I think shows like Cabaret, Pippin, uh Chicago do this very well where it seems very like seamless, like everything just happens as if it's part of the show. And that they're like introducing a song, for example, like with something like Chicago, yeah. where it's like it's going from that like normal world into the performing world. I felt with Jamie that it was really just disjointed in a way that like you'd be speaking through a dialogue and then suddenly like the beat would kick in and they'd be singing a song. And it would kind of take me a bit off guard. Like, oh, we're, we're now in a song. Um, and I really I really appreciate writers who can kind of incorporate how a song goes into a story and kind of how it's so fluid instead of being like now we're in a musical you know i feel like it makes it a lot more cliche when you kind of have that moment of like we're speaking about something oh here's the thing i'm sad about bam i'm gonna sing about it there were some really good songs in the moment i've um point out songs like it means beautiful which is sung by pretty in the second act was a really lovely song And same with Your Man, Your Boy, which was sung by Jamie and his mum in the second act as well. I think those two were probably the standout numbers for me. Um, But apart from that, I feel like the opening and closing numbers of both acts really just kind of became one. They
0: blended into one. I don't
1: really remember a lot of those numbers, to be fair. Like, obviously, everyone knows the iconic and you don't even know it. And sometimes people know a lot about the everyone's talking about Jamie song. But really, they all just kind of had the same sort of beat behind them and didn't really provide anything different from what i was kind of expecting
0: definitely definitely so it's interesting when we think of going back to your first question like why is it a musical and not a yeah like why play? why is yeah why has he chosen to include these musical numbers um and dance breaks and dancing so um obviously in an interview with dan glassy so i was like oh a musical is a bloody good night out you know what i mean it's something that like michelle was when she's interviewing you know musicals is something that, that should make you feel um, And I think to JB, like, those those kind of characters and his journey kind of go hand in hand, you know, like, music's a form of self-expression, it's, like, who you are, like, the words that you're singing, and because the songs all kind of capulate these emotions, these feelings, it seems very... It's hand in hand, like Jamie and singing like you wouldn't expect him not to sing.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those where though, because I'm going back to you saying that it's like a big night out that kind of is going along the same lines of stuff like Mamma Mia, you know, everyone's like, let's go have a fun night out at the theatre. And especially with the podcast that we're talking about here, where we're kind of talking critically about musical theatre and what musical theatre is providing to us in the West End today. Should these type of musicals be prominent in the West End? Do you feel like these shows that kind of are just providing a fun time instead of, like, giving us messages and telling us things that we should kind of be taking with us in our daily life. What what are your kind of opinions on on that? Because for people that know me, everyone knows that I... Shows like um, Grease and Bring It On and <laughs> are just ones that I'm like, okay, cute, but I don't feel like they have their place in the West End. Yeah. So, yeah, what's what do you kind of think about?
0: Well, I think commercially, Mamma Mia! and just like everyone's talking about Jamie and the fact that they're very um you're fed the story you're kind of fed the narrative you understand what's going on it doesn't take a lot for you to think about it you know what I mean like you know what's going on you know the characters you can kind of see the story unraveling it's very easy listening it's not challenging you um in any way obviously like Jamie has moments that are a bit unconventional you know with the fact that he wants to be a drag queen um, but it's still nothing shocking, do you know what I mean? It's not on the same calibre as musicals like Cabaret or even Chicago, you know, the stakes aren't very high. Yeah. It's a very normalised, like, kind of, like, pedestrianised musical. But I think they are important in the fact that they...
1: They bring in audience. They bring an audience. I think I think it's it is very important that there's a sort of balance that's struck within the West End that we are able to provide people who rarely ever go to the theatre who aren't going to come and see a very emotionally driven show yeah. because, I mean, above and all, with musical theatre, it's a form of escapism, I think, and people come to kind of have a good night. And I think as long as that sort of those big productions, the big commercial productions like Mamma Mia, let's say, and like Book of Mormon, even though Book of Mormon, I think, has its very like intelligent um, points to it, I think they are giving those new people to theatre the opportunity to be like, this is such an amazing form of art. Yeah. So then they are ex- able to explore it a bit more themselves. Like, I know for a fact that when I started listening to musical theatre, I started off with stuff like Joseph and yeah. uh, what else? Like We Will Rock You and all those type of fun, loving musicals. And without them, I don't think I would have got into the more kind of nitty gritty stuff like obviously Cabaret and yeah. uh, ones more along that calibre, which really explore some really deep and, um, provoking kind of uh, narratives
0: I think like kind of what you were saying before is that maybe it's because usually when people think of musicals and why people dislike musical theatre is because they instantly go to musicals like Mamma Mia yeah jazz
1: hands jazz, yeah, jazz hands, hands like, I'm hands, not jazz doing hands. any musical theatre because it's just jazz hands that and it, tap break
0: yeah that it's not um, intelligent like yeah. it doesn't take a lot for you to be in Mamma Mia do you know what I mean it's yeah. not, your characters aren't real do you know what I mean they're very stereotypical like comedy roles and you can just kind of get through the show um, whereas like it's not true like musical theatre takes a lot of work it takes a lot of discipline to be able to do all three disciplines and do them all well as well yeah exactly um, but I think on a lot of people tar all musicals with the same brush as yeah. something like Mamma Mia, which is rude. Yeah. But
1: I also do think a good thing about Jamie is that although it, I, I, I personally classify it as kind of a bit more of like a cheesy, like fun night out type musical, yeah. it does still have those elements of um, those emotional scenes and kind of provoking some ideas, especially for younger, younger audiences, I think. So I do think it's one of those musicals that's really like brushing a good commercial balance that it can provide us with a fun night out but can also make us leave thinking a bit more about what we've just watched
0: yeah just going back to the score so i was reading in some reviews that they compared it to both dear evan hansen and uh billy elliott what are your thoughts on those comparisons
1: this is one thing I find really weird about when you listen to a uh, an American soundtrack versus a British soundtrack. Yeah. British soundtracks sound very British. Like, when you listen to something like Dear Evan Hansen, which is very... It's a very modern, uh, contemporary soundtrack. Yeah. Obviously done by Passick and Paul. It doesn't sound like American pop music.
0: Yeah.
1: But when you listen to something like Billy Elliot, something like Everyone's Talking About Jamie, which are based on, obviously, British pop, they sound very British. Yeah. Um and it's just a weird thing, like when you compare the two, they sound so different. Yeah. Um and I know definitely one part that I really was like, oh god, now this is getting too far is the number that comes just after that scene with the like contemporary dance that's happening in the background.
0: Oh yes.
1: And I know we were having this discussion like the other day that obviously like um musical theatre audiences tend to get fed a lot of information yeah, a lot. Fed. Yeah, spoon fed a bit more. Um and obviously, I can tell that that's what they were doing in this number is that they were um telling the story of the husband the d- the mum and the dad um, with two younger actors whilst the mum sung the song about if she could go back and like turn back time yeah um, but for me, I personally just felt that this was just a bit too done before um and it was something like literally ripped out of So You Think You Can Dance and plopped right in the middle of the stage. I literally turned to my sister and she looked back at me and we were like, ugh, both I- our eyes I kind of rolled together. Mm. Um, obviously, you're a choreographer yourself, so I don't really know how um, you kind of uh, think of kind of a routine like that.
0: It was just um, very out of place, I felt. A lot of the other choreography is obviously, you can tell that it's influenced from voguing. It's very pop culture. There's a lot of um, hip-hop influences as well. Um... And obviously both the director, John Butterall, and the choreographer, um, Katie, Kate's Kate Prince. Kate Prince. <gasps> I'm going to call her Katie Price there. <laughs> <That are not laughs> no, I don't think good. she yeah, choreographed this Uh Yeah, Kate Prince. Um, they obviously had a lot of uh, collaborative effort on the production. Um, and I don't know where, because obviously Kate Price is the... Prince is the... Founder of Zoo Nation. So you know that her influences are heavily in hip-hop, breakdancing. And you can so tell that from the minute they start dancing on stage. It's all about isolated movements, hip rotations, that kind of thing. Like a sharp, cutting-edge choreography. But the thing that I found most interesting about the... You know, this lyrical sequence is that it just felt disjointed to the rest of the the place. And they put this in... The whole sole purpose was to visually see the relationship because i feel like they i don't know is that that thing with making the audiences feel less intelligent than they are
1: yeah because i personally felt like i didn't need to see that like i think because um i think i had melissa jacques as uh, margaret new who was the understudy Mm -hmm. and she was such a talented performer anyways i felt like i could have just had her singing and i still would have been able to understand her pain yeah. and kind of the relationship that they went through that she felt like she always had to stick up for him for the sake of not hurting Jamie Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of directors these days tend to like shoehorn a lot of like dramatic moments into scenes yeah. that kind of don't need to be there and I know I'm one of those as well so I'm not kind of speaking from a judgmental point I know whenever we try put on a piece of theatre it's always like oh what could we do in this section or like what can we add that will make it different in this section but I think it's just remembering what is important about the scene or what we're trying to tell and not trying to overstep that by adding in a crazy dance sequence that's happening in the background
0: yeah definitely there's a lot of like two dimensional scenes going on where something would be happening in the foreground and then something else would be happening in the background like the whole um the cup song kind of montage in the yes song. yeah yeah um, in spotlight in spotlight yeah um which obviously is interesting for the performers, and they add these beautiful harmonies to like a lot of the songs. Yeah, it did
1: add quite a, like cool little beat to it. Yeah, but um, I, I, I think again, again, pop culture. Yeah, and like immediately, my mind was just drawn to the Cup Song from Pitch Perfect. Like yeah. I wasn't there, like oh, this has got a really cool like jazzy beat to it. Like I feel like we were really like adding something to the scene. I was literally like, oh, like when's Anna Kendrick gonna walk out? You yeah. know, like it, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was part of what was yeah. happening.
0: It felt it was like oh, this is such a good reference to make. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. the song because we're in that time frame. It was made in 2017. That's what the buzz was around. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, what I found the most professional one of the parts of the shows is the intricate choreography around the desks and the set pieces. The I, way things yeah. flowed was just... It was meticulous. There was yeah. no... No faults, I didn't see anything like the set in, in general and around the choreography, like in, um, and you don't even know it. That was what I was most drawn to. Yeah. Was the fact that these desks moved in and out, they made a catwalk, they made two stages where yeah. the heads were dancing, and it was, you didn't even notice the changes, which yeah. I thought was so beautiful.
1: I mean, apart from the loud banging when they were shoving the chairs under. Um... Oh, yeah. Uh, it was, I loved the desks. I thought they were a really cool addition because they, they became a fen- uh, wall a at one wall, point. Yeah. And I, I felt like it was such a little good uh, piece of set to have for the show that could kind of transform into like anything.
0: Transformative blocks. <laughs> transformative
1: blocks. Everyone loves a transformative block. Because um, I think another another thing that is very weird about the story, and I'm just going to talk more about the story again. Um, So... Jamie wants to be a drag queen, and the whole time we're like, we want to see him perform as a drag queen. But you get to the end of the second act, and instead of seeing him as a drag queen, this big sheet drops down, and you see a big projection of him Mm -hmm. walking out onto the stage. And, like, this was, like, it was very cool to see, because I was like, that's so different. Again, it didn't necessarily fit into the story, because it didn't pop up again. Yeah. But would you have preferred to have seen Jamie come on as a drag queen himself? Or did you like that projection element? I
0: quite like the projection because it, it, for me, it read that that is Jamie's performative self. And that isn't the end goal for Jamie. Okay, yeah. So obviously Jamie at the end of act two, what, compared to the end of act one, we see at end of act one, he's me, me, me in this big, non-realistic, you know, larger than life projection yeah. of himself. And then when we see him at the prom, he's stripped back. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. not loud. He's got wearing a simple white dress with these simple earrings. You know, he's got no wig on. He's like himself, but he's just yeah, like he's living for himself and yeah. not for other people. Whereas like a drag performer is very it's much a like, big yeah performance. Fearless. Yeah, and you know like um the guy uh Hugo Hugo um you know he doesn't need to be fearless. You know, people are gonna come at you negatively. You need to be louder than life. Yeah. To combat all of this negative and hatred energy, whereas at the end I think it's really apt that Jamie's like, "No, I'm just, I'm just me. I just want to wear a dress to prom because yeah. this is like, what, what's inside of me, my intrinsic self. Like, yeah. it's not this massive big performance. It's this very stripped back version of yeah, which is quite nice, I think.
1: Um, yeah, and another, another song I found a bit weird. Was work of art. There's this scene where Jamie is doing his eyebrows in the bathroom, but obviously yeah. they're hideous because he's never done them before. And Miss Hedge catches them, and she's like, "Jamie, you're a work of art. You've got to perform her on the stage." And it's literally <laughs> like she is grabbing Jamie and being like, "I'm going to embarrass you in front of the whole school." And it's just this weird moment where she cra- breaks out into this like techno pop vogue moment. Yeah, and it's just weird, and like, I like this song once Jamie's like, I'm, no, I'm gonna embrace my, um, my performative self, and I'm gonna, uh, kind of, like, show you guys what I've got instead of be this, like, hidden character, but all up to that point, I'm just like, what is going on? It felt like, like, a weird nightmare sequence, like, do you think that was meant to be real? Do you think it wasn't? Because like it was
0: kind of like a dream sequence, but yeah,
1: like a nightmare, like like turned into a dream. Come the end, because like Miss Hedge was just this like horrific. Like she's like, you've got to go out there, Jamie. (laughs) You're a work of art. It was the
0: fact that Jamie just looked like horrified, and like it was such an awful act. What, she, but she just has such a flawed character because she's neither supporting Jamie and she's neither fully against Jamie yeah
1: and they also try and do this weird thing where they try and touch on her when she's on the phone to that guy and she's like will I see you this Friday and he doesn't reply oh, and then yeah. she's like she's like okay puts it down like oh oh like I know what you're trying to do but that's just so bad like they were trying to give her like this like backstory that she can never feel loved herself so hence why she's like gotta keep it real to other people. I was like oh this is awful I hate it <laughs> There's enough conflict, conflict with, with yeah. the father and with Dean Paxton as well. Like out of those three characters that are providing this kind of like stopping blockage, blockade yeah. thing for Jamie, so that's the father, Dean Paxton, and Miss Hedge. I don't think Miss Hedge needs to be there. I think I think if you put Miss Hedge's character with the father mm. to be like you need to keep it real, it would have worked fine.
0: Yeah, and uh, because it was such a iconic person as Michelle Visage, like a huge icon in the LGBTQI community. Especially in the
1: drag community. Yeah, and I was just
0: expecting so much. And also she wore the highest heels and then watching clips of like old shows, Miss Hedge did not wear those high heels. (laughs) I was like, Michelle, you can't even walk in the veins. Like, I just felt so scared when she got up on the... um, on the big catwalk to do her um solo and I was like if you fall I'm going to watch the death of Michelle Visage with my own <laughs> eyes it's just awful um
1: yeah um like obviously Michelle did such a good job anyways like she she just has this presence about she her so, like genuine I think she could do the worst thing ever and just it still be amazing because yeah, she's Michelle true. Visage true 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 um Yeah, it was just kind of like a weird, a weird character. Like she only had four scenes as well. Like you know, I just felt like if if they wanted to do something with the characters, they should have either done way less or they should have done way more. Um, It just was a weird, awkward middle ground where you didn't really know where she kind of stood.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um. So going back to the original um production in Sheffield. Um, jo- Jonathan Butterall talks a lot about the fact that the whole creative team so Dan sells Jonathan Butterall and Tom McRae went into a lot of um, schools in Sheffield obviously because yeah. you're taking it out of that very regional place of County Durham and you're putting it in Sheffield which is a different place for anyone who's in South <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same! What? Uh, um, so it's, uh, they have different very different values and I was talking to my mum about this yesterday on the phone and she was saying you know, the Working class and you know the closing of the coal mine which obviously Billy Elliot obviously is more about and Jamie doesn't really touch on that but it's that working class mentality is still things I discussed in pubs at the minute Um, and so this level of um, diversity. Like in the school of Jamie going to prom and address, obviously, is something that you need to talk about. And it was really nice to hear that they went into actual schools, some working class schools, some affluent schools, and they just discussed the issue if someone in your year decided to go to prom and address. Yeah. And then they talked about the differences between the, the different levels of class in the schools, you know. He um, didn't specifically say which school said what, but they, they were saying that they knew that they wanted to tell the story from what the kids had said because they were discussing stuff like, oh, well, we already have gender-neutral toilets, so we wouldn't see that as an issue. Or, um, well... You know, we're encouraged to do whatever we want in school. We don't have to wear, you know, trousers for boys, skirts for girls. Um, and he was like, "It's because gender in schools is changing, and the story has already been playing out in schools across the country."
1: Yeah, well, it's one of those things of like because the documentary was filmed a while back, two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So 11. much has changed in regards to gender and sexuality mm. itself. So it's good that they did go back to schools to kind of try and get where, like, gauge where people's heads are at now. Because, like, a story like this could have really flopped if they had done it mm. how people would have thought five years ago. Because you would have got people in London going to see the show being like, this is so backwards, you know? Yeah. Like, it could have it could have gone badly wrong. And, like, especially with stuff like RuPaul's Drag Race that's happening at the minute and the growth and kind of how that's become part of the mainstream. Like, people are thinking a lot differently about how they view drag performances, but also, like, gender identity. Yeah. So, um, it's really interesting that they, they relied so heavily on the teens to kind of tell the story now. Definitely. Which I really, really like.
0: Yeah. Um, right, well, I'm gonna give you some comments for some reviews. You're Go gonna for tell it. me what Go you think. It. So, okay. Um, so Anna Treenman of The Times. Um, Hi Anna she gave a like the musical obviously genuinely received very good four and yeah. five star reviews um, she said that I gave it a very rare five stars the moment that it ended the entire audience rose up as one and I think that impact has uh, for the same reason that dear Evan Hansen that the music that just cleaned up the Tony Awards is such a success this uh, is a hit material and deserves a chance to start stuff and now it's got it So she compared the success to Dear Evan Hansen um, because it it makes the audience rise up as one. It builds a community.
1: And I will add this point now, which is something that I feel like the musical theatre... Industry is evolving into is that we should not underestimate fan bases of shows Mm. Like oh my god the amount of times that I'm flicking through my Instagram or I'm flicking through my Twitter and there's these like young 14 15 year olds that have created all these fan pages for these music. so much marketing is driven off of young fan pages and young fan bases really pushing the show out into people that they know. And I think especially with a show like Jamie, which greps so many young people, I feel like they've really rallied behind this. Same as how they did with Heathers. And same as obviously like with Dear Evan Hansen. Like people are really identifying with this story and really through social media, creating a base of, friends in a way that they can all kind of chat to the, about the show with, you yeah, know? definitely, definitely. And I feel like, honestly, for producers out there at the minute, if you can really grab those audiences, like, you've got a winning show. Like, they are the word of mouth these days. Like, yeah. shows are relying on their young people to really push their ticket sales. And
0: also, if you're... And this is a pressure on the cast as well. If you're disrespectful to your fans at Stage Door or if you're disrespectful, Absolutely. you know, on social media, your fans will come for you. And yeah. they're so fiercely... Protective, and oh, that was
1: fe- they are fierce. In yeah. in
0: the audience, it was so, it was so clear that there was a lot of people there that were there because they loved the show. Yeah, they laughed at every joke. They were whooping, cheering. I mean, we both saw it in the ending weeks. So yeah, and I saw Luke the first Luke Bayer's
1: last performance, and obviously Luke Bayer's got a very big fan base. Yeah. and I swear to God, he had to shush the audience about ten times at the end of the show because no, they just weren't stopping.
0: Because they just. Love, love him, yeah. Like, And it's love, it's fierce. Yeah. It's fierce. Okay, so this is the one that I really, really agree with and I think it'll close our thoughts and feelings on JB yeah. unless you have anything else. No, 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 I won't. Loving I'm all good. to say. Um, so Dominic Cavendish in his four-star review in the Daily Telegraph um, says, I can't think of a musical that has sent me spinning right round like a record baby, ha ha ha. Uh, pun intended. Um, <laughs> quite as much as this funny, outrageous, touching, oh my word PC flag waving show. Uh, the show sends you out in a feel good bubble of happiness. Think too much about it though and the bubble gets pricked. Which I honestly think that, that sums up my feelings. Yeah and the, i just love the fact that he used a metaphor which is obviously Jamie. everyone's talking about Jamie. is full of metaphors especially with all their songs and their feelings and it is true you go out and you are on this like high like it's yeah. such a, a celebratory end of the show you know especially with that door slam it's like yes and we've broken through i don't know you just you just feel very yeah. uplifted and then uh, on the way home when i was like really thinking about it, i was like actually this yeah. this and this and it's, then.
1: it's the difference between me and my sister because we both saw it together like obviously because I knew we were doing a podcast on the episode like yeah. I was really digging into it being like oh god oh god <laughs> this, this is
0: awful <laughs> but like
1: I saw my sister literally yesterday and she was like I'm still in love with the show and like she doesn't really think or talk much about musical theater she just watches it and watch what it is and I completely agree with that like you know I think it's a great show, and you come up feeling really uplifted and feeling like you want to change the world and yeah. that you want to do things differently. And it's not until you kind of sit back and be like, oh, actually, about yeah. this, about this, about this, that it comes a bit like weirder. Yeah. Wow, is that that's is this the end of our first episode?
0: <laughs> I think it might be. Ending How ending.
1: exciting. So our final segment is called our lovely curtain call. This is kind of where we sum up everything we've been talking about, kind of talk about our stars of the show and give it our final rating. So Luce, was the star of your show? Who was well, your favorite?
0: My star was actually um, Ray, who was played by Shabna Gulati.
1: Gulati? Gulati? Yeah. Sorry, I we can't butchered breathe. that. <laughs>
0: um she was in Coronation Street, and she was Dev's wife. She's called Sonia. So it was really... um, Sonita, actually, maybe. I can't remember. But she was really good in the Coronation Street. And then I saw her, and I was like, oh, it's going to be so weird to get past that soap opera acting. But she really...
1: She was really, really good. Really real. And also, when we were speaking about the comedy being a bit off, like, I thought that Ray...
0: She, she nailed was, Yeah, it.
1: she nailed it. Like, she really did nail it. it.
0: And then it was so nice to see how relatable she was to the actual documentary. Literal lines that she delivered were just so fun and just real. She was just real. Yeah, like... I keep keep repeating that, but... But, like,
1: in comparison to a lot of the other other characters, which felt very stereotypical, she was very down to earth.
0: Yeah, you just knew her. You knew that was that woman that lived at the end of the street. Yeah, yeah. You've always seen her at
1: the laundrette. Yeah, and she's
0: always just lovely and supportive, and it didn't matter what you would do, she'd always be like, oh, I'm sure you'll get into uni, or I'm sure you'll do this. Like, she always was that uplifting spirit. Like, everyone needs a ray in their life. Yeah. Everyone should have a ray. And I thought that's why she was just... Beautiful, even though her singing was meh. So I was like, <laughs> I'll scoop that under the carpet. You can't, you can't be winners of everything. No, exactly. Um, well, who was your? Uh, uh, so mine, Jamal?
1: by far, was Lucy Shorthouse who played Pretty Pasha. Um, I think I believe she won an award for this. Yes, supporting yeah, actress. Stage, um, yeah. I just thought her her singing voice was so interesting because it was wasn't musical theatre. Yeah. It was very poppy, but I really really liked it, and she had such a beautiful character, and I felt like it was really really nice to see a character finally like this portrayed on. Uh, a West End stage mm. instead of a sort of blonde white ingenue character. That's kind of the yeah. best friend. So I'm re- I'm really glad that I got to see Lucy play this role.
0: Um. So final uh final little thought. Since we are calling our podcast "Wing and the Wings," we've decided to rate all of our shows in beautiful feathers. Whoop 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 whoop. So how many feathers would you give this production, Anthony and I'm
1: guessing we're going out of five. Yeah. yeah um so <laughs> <No 100. laughs> so i'm gonna be picky and you'll see that i'll be picky for the rest of this podcast right. is that i'm gonna give this a three feathers three feathers three feathers Yeah.
0: okay um give me one sentence of explanation
1: so i think this is a fun this show a fun but show. It doesn't particularly change any of my ideas about anything so cool. that's why it's getting a three Cool.
0: well i thought i was going to be picky She's going to um, give it a five. <laughs> I'm gonna, 20 stars. 20 feathers, should I say, actually. I'm going to give it three and a half feathers. Okay. okay. Um, Because I do think that it is a very relatable musical. Yep. It's a universal story. Everyone's been in that um, crossroad. Everyone's been through that. Who am I going to be when I'm older? And I think it's a really important story to tell. And the fans obviously love it. Yeah. they love it and i think
1: it's got a lot it's going to be going on for a while it's gonna,
0: it, there's no end date yeah. right now so that's how you know it's a success and um, you just
1: got Leighton williams going in as well so yeah, he's so. gonna be uh, dragging in the audience but
0: yeah that's kind of my awesome. opinions
1: <laughs> um so uh where can people find you on social media loose have you got some uh
0: yeah you can follow my instagram page lucy Helen performing arts or you can head over to our Theatre company. Yeah, you can. Um, So we have a theatre company called Taxi Man Productions, and we're going to be posting on there um, when our podcast comes out, which hopefully is going to be at Friday nights, seven thirty p.m. When a show would be starting, so grab a glass of cheap second from (laughs) Asda, you know, sit down and your nice comfy sofa instead of those. Really hard theatre chairs and have a listen to our thoughts and feelings. Or yeah. whilst you're doing the ironing on Saturday morning, you know, pop us on, I'm sure. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll bring you some bants. Yeah.
1: Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, it's uh, Antoine, that's with two E's, XOXO, and then at Anton Underwood on Twitter. Um, and then Taximan Productions on Twitter and Taximan Productions on Instagram, I believe they're both the same. Um, so, our last section words. we're going to give you a little uh, kind of quiz on what we could possibly be doing, talking about next in two weeks. So, um. we're going to give you three questions. And then the answer of each question, once you combine them all together, is a musical, the next musical that we will be talking about on episode two.
0: Will you guess it? Will, will you, you guess, guess it? it? Our,
1: our audience back at home. So the first question is uh, Qantas and Lufthansa are all companies that centre on this mode of transport. Dun dun dun. dun, dun what could it be? Second question uh, The country this musical is set in is known for its chips, cheese, and gravy dish oh and then the last question is one of this musical stars came fourth in a well-known bbc singing competition Interesting. so i wonder what it could be obviously we both know it so i can't even question loose <laughs> about what it could be but thank you for joining us on our first podcast we hope you enjoyed it and uh we hope to that you tune in next time
0: we'll be looking forward to it see you next week guys Bye. bye